This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being, being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. It's frustrating to face the reality of anxiety and self-doubt, overpowering one's desire to create change. You may, therefore, wonder what therapy holds for you as far as purpose, value, and intention. By working with your therapist collaboratively, you can become a more self-aware individual, develop a more constructive sense of reflection, and become more powerfully in control of your life. Through psychotherapy, you explore your biological, social, psychological, and societal factors to develop clearer pathways to understanding you. As a result, you can better apply the coping skills that work best for you. Whether you're weighed down by anxiety or unsure about your ability to make a change, therapy can help you learn to be curious about yourself. Often, your unknown parts hold surprises for you. Valeria interviews Alyssa Martinez, She is a licensed professional counselor in Texas. She has experience with nonprofit organizations that were centered on assessing needs through access to resources and exploring the various components that impact mental health. Alyssa has also worked for mental health group practices where she provided both individual therapy for all ages as well as couples therapy. She recently opened up her own private practice, Crystal Mind Counseling, where she now focuses on providing individual and couples therapy to adults struggling with anxiety, self-esteem, and relationships. From quite an early age, Alyssa has been passionate about psychotherapy, long before she understood the concept of it. For a long time, because she sought to be understood, she ultimately found herself wanting to understand the world around her. Thus, her desire to give what she struggled to find at a young age paved the way to become a psychotherapist. Meet Alyssa at crystalmindcounseling.com. Here's the interview with Alyssa Martinez. In your own words, who is Alyssa Martinez? I think I am a, a deep thinker. I'm someone who observes and finds meaning in both, you know, the small and the big things, the good and the bad. I think I'm also a friend. I'm a partner. And, you know, I often have to remind myself I'm stronger than I give myself credit for. You know, other people usually have to remind me of that, but I think that is characteristic. Um, I'm also someone who tries to find the humor, you know, Mm. and laughter Mm -hmm. in, in everyday life, you know, so life is too complex without it, I think. So, I'm also someone who tends to, I think, see the world through a therapeutic lens, which I think is both a blessing Mm -hmm. and a curse. Mm -hmm. So I often have to, you know, throw myself into that laughter and that humor to sort of relax and also soak in the beauty of the world and not just see everything in an overly constructive way, you know, Mm -hmm. because that's often how my brain thinks. And 
that's how I spend the majority of say my Monday through Friday. And so I have to kind of shake it off sometimes and let myself, Mm. you know, soak in the beauty of like every day, you know? Yeah. Sounds wonderful to me. With that in mind, what inspired you to become a therapist? Um, Life. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, Um, I can imagine. (laughs) Growing up, I I think I felt things very deeply. My sister and I were super different growing up. She was tough and I was sensitive. I've, I've always been a sensitive person. And so that was how I experienced a lot of situations in life. And I never really knew anyone who was quite like me in that way. And So, you know, anytime my friends had like a problem or, you know, they told me something crazy or something sad that was happening in their life, I just sort of took it all in, you know, and I thought, well, that's like me, you know, I want to know all about it. I want to talk about it. You know, I want to talk through it. And I think that, you know, the older I got sort of in my teen years, um, you know, I recognized that my friends sort of intentionally came to me for these things and because I, I was always so open about it. And sometimes, you know, I was a little too open, right, about what was happening in my life, because I think I, in a way I was sort of starving for somebody to understand me. And so then, you know, I think I must have been about um, probably about 17 years old. I was either a junior or a senior in high school, and I took my first psychology class. And so from that point forward, I sort of knew that I wanted to work in psychology. I didn't know exactly in what way. Um, I didn't know, uh, you know, how or in what way, but I just knew that I wanted more of it. And then, you know, around the end of high school or maybe it was the beginning of college, I I tried therapy for the first time as I was going through some struggles with my self-esteem and just dealing with intense emotions. And that was actually very short lived. It didn't last very long. I definitely did tons of therapy later after that. But in that first instance that I tried it, although it was short lived, I do remember thinking like, oh, this is it. Like, this is what I've been looking for. This is the thing that like I'm trying to accomplish from talking to my friends about their struggles and revealing myself to other people in a, in a deep way. And so, um, you know, that was the thing that I wanted to do. And so from that point forward, I had a plan, you know, I, I knew that I wanted to get my bachelor's in psychology. I, I had figured that out in high school, but I didn't quite know how to get to the next part. And so after that is when I kind of established, okay, I need to get my master's in counseling and that's, that's go, you know, that's where I definitely didn't want to have to <laughs> have to mm-hmm. go to grad school, but yeah. that was the the direction. And so I did it despite, you know, feeling like I couldn't do it. That's where I kind of say, I think I'm stronger than I give myself credit for because I was terrified mm. of doing it. And when I did it, it was mm. the best feeling in the world to accomplish it and got me to where I am right now. So Right. Um, that's interesting to see how we are actually found by these things, by the yeah. career, whatever we are doing now. Um, it's, yeah. it's the other way around in a way. What do you love most about your work as a therapist? Giving people what I couldn't find. I think that that tends to be like the the core of a lot of what I do is giving people what I struggled so much to find when I was younger Yeah, is giving them that feeling of being understood. Because when I was younger, mm. I didn't feel that understood. It wasn't like I was excluded or ostracized or bullied, but it was like, I felt something internally that was different. And so giving that to other people, you know, them telling me their stories, their life, their struggles, yeah. when I hear them, I empathize in a lot of ways. And, and then I also normalize that for them because it's, it's, this idea that we feel like we're different. We feel like we're on the outside, but in reality, we're quite similar. We just don't talk about it that much until we enter, you know, say a therapeutic space, right? And so the best part of that is hearing somebody like, oh, that's normal. Like, oh, that's okay. I'm not, I'm not crazy maybe. And so 
yeah. um, helping them like discovery. And we talked about that briefly before we started about self-discovery, yes. yeah. um, helping them discover things about themselves when we're talking about their history or like life experiences. And it's like a light bulb moment. I love the light bulb moment. And it, that tells me that we're, we're doing the right thing. We're going on the, in the right direction. And that like, they're recognizing things about themselves that were deep within that they had no idea they had access to. Right. Yeah. That was beautifully expressed on your website. I think that's where, yeah, I read that there. You say, uh, I can help teach you a sense of curiosity in yourself. Mm-hmm. They are often surprises to be held by the parts unknown within you. So that caught my attention immediately. Uh, yeah, and I really wanted to, that message message to resonate with people, especially because that is what I discovered in my process too, was like, wow, there's a lot about myself that I had no idea connected for, to this thing and to this other thing. And so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, getting that message across was so important to me. Yes, uh, the curiosity part and then the exploring the unknown through being curious. Mm-hmm. That brings me to another topic within the topic. You mentioned earlier about being strong. Uh, the word strong, stronger. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. what is to be strong from your perspective and what makes us stronger? Well, I think being strong, I think for one is resilience, you know, like being able to get through life experiences in a way that you probably never imagined was possible. So I think for me, like when I think about being strong, I think about like, wow, I thought that was going to be totally different and it wasn't and I was able to get through it. Was that because I made it out to be something bigger, or is that because I am strong, right? Is that because I am resilient and I can accomplish things more than I give myself credit for, right? I think we tend to be our biggest critics, of course. And so I tend to have, you know, have to remind myself, I tend to have that belief, like, you know, you can't do it, you can't do it. But then I do. And I'm like, wow, I am Mm -hmm. super strong. You know, I have been through many life things, right? I I lost my father, you know, we went through financial difficulties. I had tough jobs. I had tough relationships, tough friendships, all these things that I came out the other side thinking like, wow, that is, that is quite a bit of strength. And I'm still in one piece, (laughs) it turns out, right? Yes. Yes. And with that, um, I guess another question comes to mind that I usually ask pretty much all therapists, Mm -hmm. how do you define mental health these days? Mental health, well, because it's so broad, but if you try if you try to specify it more, I think it has a lot to do with deciding that you want to take care of yourself, mm-hmm. deciding that mm-hmm. what's happening in your mind every single day or or maybe even just every once in a while that that actually counts for something. So I think like, you know, mental health just as a whole is deciding that you want to put yourself first, that you want to take care of you and all of the things that, are encompassed within you as a person, as the person that you have developed to be. Yeah. So self-care, which I would probably call it self-love without being selfish, of course. That's a different, um, I think that's a a different, uh, let's say, concept. I, I remember, I mean, I interview a lot of people and I talk, not too often, but recently I talked to somebody about narcissism. And she said that, um, she's a therapist too, she said, yeah, they love themselves too much. Mm. She actually used the word love. So I was wondering, and then that made me think, is that love? And then and the question was, what, what do they love about themselves? If what are you doing is actually hurting others, your behavior most of the time, 
But then she said they are not aware of their behavior in the first place. Mm-hmm. So that's why they hurt others. So with that in mind, talk to me about the concept of self-love and then self-esteem. Are they connected, related somehow? Yeah, most definitely. I mean, I think self-love is synonymous with self-care, with self-acceptance, with self-compassion. And I think all of those things come with a more positive self-esteem. And so when we don't have a positive self-esteem or when we're really struggling with our self-esteem, we're not able to truly love ourselves. So they are very interconnected. It's difficult to say that you do truly love yourself without at least, you know, say maybe two of those things, right? Maybe you don't have as much self-compassion, but you have some self-acceptance and self-care. And, you know, but I think those are very big parts of it. And it's foundational to self-love in a lot of ways is to care for yourself and to accept who you are, to truly accept it, but not just say that you do, but truly Mm -hmm. feel that. And then give yourself compassion for the fact that you have experienced these things and that you deserve to breathe a sigh of relief or to feel pain or to feel uh, maybe even victimized in certain situations. But yeah, they are all very much so um, interconnected in a way that sometimes it's hard to disconnect even, right? To disconnect yeah. any of those things because self-love is, is so closely connected to self-esteem. Yes, yeah, that's what I thought. And another question that came to mind, the topic today uh, of our conversation being self-esteem and the power of communication, but also anxiety in relationships so when it comes to self-esteem and the power of communication, what it came to me was uh, because it's an open, it was kind of open the way you left that topic. So I thought about communication in the sense of self-expression and authenticity. So would that be also very important pieces when it comes to having a positive self-esteem, as you call it? Yeah, you know, I do believe so. I think authenticity can be really hard for a lot of people. Um because I think that is, again, part of the whole self-discovery process. Yes. You know, yeah. I think also if when you're trying to be authentic and you're trying to communicate and accomplish getting through a struggle or whatever it is, we try to find ways to make that authentic to who we are, even though oftentimes we can feel like, I think we can feel like a fraud when we are trying to communicate in a positive way because it feels so constructed, right? Mm. It feels sometimes overly structured, overly constructed, that it feels like we're not actually being authentic to ourselves. So sometimes it feels like the opposite message is being sent. Like, how am I being myself if I'm not truly expressing myself? You know, and you, I think the difficult part about communication is that we need to learn to express ourselves in a constructive way, but that still is true to who we are internally. And that often means not including things like um, blaming or judgment or criticism. And I think that's where people say, but I'm trying to be authentic to myself. And that often it doesn't ring true. It doesn't sound right to think that part of who you are is to hurt other people in the process. Mm. Right. And so I yeah. think, yeah, we want to learn to be authentic as we are communicating these things, but, but it is, it is a, it is a journey, right? It, it is a tough process to get to that place where you feel like you can still say what you want to say, but in a way that doesn't damage other people and in mm. a way that can actually be deeply understood mm. um, to produce a result that you would like, that you and whoever else is involved in that conversation would like. Yes. Yeah. I love that. It sounds to me like the byproduct of healing of this process of self-discovery and mm-hmm. healing to be able to do that, uh, to communicate in a kind but true way. That's my practice with my husband, the closest person to me. And it's not easy though. Be- wow. It's yeah. still not easy. Isn't it funny? 
Yeah, no, it's not. I don't know that it gets, it gets yeah. less difficult, you know, yes. and I think we build a habit around it, but it, it, especially with relationships, you know, I'm sure for you, like it is with my fiance too, like it's really difficult sometimes to have conversations and not let your, you know, internalized anger come out in a way that's destructive. And I think that always is a battle that we have, you know, it kind of stays with us, but we fight the urge to do those things because we deeply care, right? Because we care about the people, you know, our partners, our spouses, our siblings and parents and so forth, you know? So it's, it's fighting that urge and it is really difficult because sometimes it feels like an impulse. Yes. But knowing that we have control is that's, that's the key, right? Is knowing Mm -hmm. that we actually do have control in the midst of feeling like our anger or our negative words are an impulse. That's another interesting topic you call internalized anger. Some people, they call it repressed or suppressed Mm -hmm. um, anger or any other kinds of feelings. Let's say, what do you call them? Because they are emotions. I I try not to kind of discriminate them in in Mm -hmm. a sense of this is good and this is bad. They are all emotions. They are trying to communicate something within our own inner world. So I, I try to be open and I don't call them bad emotions. So how do we learn to, in a way, manage or avoid suppressing our emotions, uh, Lisa? Especially those that feel really charged, I think energetically charged, right? Like fire almost, like anger and all these other type of emotions. So how do we learn to manage them or perhaps listen to them? Yeah, well, and I think a big part of that, again, and that's why communication was the thing that was on my mind is saying them, right? So in order to not suppress them, we have to say them. And another thing to keep in mind too, is actually that anger oftentimes acts as a primary emotion. Mm. So by that, I mean, it, it often is the easiest, the quickest emotion to grab because we feel it internally and because our nervous system gets all out of whack. Um, and in reality, there's actually something much bigger underneath it, like sadness, hurt, embarrassment, confusion. And you know, no doubt anger can definitely be something that is a true feeling. It's not a bad feeling, but I think because we associate, we can actually just feel anger and not feel something else underneath it. But because we associate anger with bad behavior, it becomes what what kind of what you said, a, a bad or a negative feeling, because that's what we see. We see the word anger. We kind of picture somebody punching a wall or somebody screaming or somebody giving the silent treatment even. And so you know, it's got a bad rap. It's anger is bad. It's a bad emotion. And it's it's a natural thing to feel, mm, yes. but it's often, again, the easiest thing to grab first. And so part of it is deciding, not so much deciding, but recognizing that you, there's probably something significantly deeper underneath that. Again, like mm. I said, maybe it's the sadness or the hurt or the embarrassment or the discomfort, whatever that might be. That's the part that we need to verbalize, that we need to speak out in order to not suppress this, oh, I have anger, I need to hide that because that's bad, bad emotion. Um, I think that's often what happens with anger. And then, of course, the more we internalize it, the more that it shows its ugly face in that sort of, how I mentioned, that bad behavior that we don't, you know, we don't want it to be that way, but sort of comes out that way anyway, because maybe we're not emotionally intelligent enough to know how to deal with anger. Mm. Emotional intelligence is a a whole nother thing, (laughs) right? It's got nothing to do with smarts. It's got everything to do with you know, knowing how to express your emotions, knowing how to verbalize them and, you know, all that good stuff. Yeah, that sounds like good stuff. Yeah, emotional intelligence (laughs) to me. 
so that makes a lot of sense. And I have been uh, exposed to the wheel of emotions. And I have, oh, yeah. yeah, I saw that for the first time, I think about two months ago. I'm like, oh, this is interesting. I had no idea they had so many names. Yeah, <laughs> I keep that right on my desk every day. Since yeah. early. I do telehealth. And so every once yeah. in a while, I'll <laughs> whip it out. I'll email it to a client and I'll say, you know, pick one and we'll work from there. That was incredible. And then I remember kind of talking to somebody here about an emotion, that is something that I was feeling at the time. And then we were exploring this here. And then um, she asked me a question and I said, oh, yeah, the feeling actually what I, I really want to say is unfairness. That something mm. happened and I was feeling that was unfair. It was not yeah. just and, and then made me sad. And then I was like wondering, so why am I having this? Because it seems to be very natural for people to be what who they are. It's not something that we can control anyway. So it is um, natural to witness other people expressing themselves however they choose to or they are able to mm-hmm. without having our own emotions getting stirred up. But I often see within myself this emotion of unfairness, this looking to live in a world that's just, that's just is being done and then when I don't see that happening, and then I become sad. Mm. And I was wondering, okay, that has something to do with my belief systems and my values. I think she said that it was correct, but I don't remember um, if she really connected those two in a way that I'm thinking here. Do you see that the same way in a way, Elisa? The way we express our feelings, our emotions, and our belief systems being connected. Yeah, I mean, they're de- they're definitely connected. I think it also depends on, you know, again, kind of like I mentioned when I was describing myself, it depends on how deeply you feel things too. Yeah. That tells yeah. us how we respond to certain situations, if, if that kind of makes sense. But that is a very big part as an individual, what comes with your values and how you feel about, say, whatever your own emotional intelligence is, that has a lot to do with the way that we respond to other situations too. And so it rarely looks the same as the person standing next to you, right? Which is mm. kind of the nice thing because we're always, you know, we're unique in that way. But yeah, yeah, I think that I think that does make, you know, make sense. I don't know if I have too much more thought on it, right? But but in essence, yeah, I think I can agree with what you said. Yeah, the, the, yeah. the, the way we see the world, that worldview yeah. in the what we think about life mm-hmm. that would affect the way we, let's say, the way we express, but not really that we are trying to express the emotions that way, just coming from that place. That's what it seems to me. But in, yeah. you're saying something else that's interesting. It depends how deep you feel, how empathetic you are too. Yes. Some people, they're highly sensitive right. people and all. So. Yeah, being an empath can be another thing. Like I mentioned before, a blessing and a curse. It's really hard because you feel so deeply sometimes that it feels like it belongs to you and sometimes it doesn't. Um, And that can make your worldview a little bit rough sometimes too. Yes, yeah, Yeah. very much. Wow, that's a big one. Uh, Feeling everything. (laughs) Uh, Mm -hmm. Not being able to separate not or distance yourself a bit right Um, yeah it could could lead to some burnout too I think people don't recognize that sometimes that it you know being an empath in in a really strong way can definitely lead to some burnout and exhaustion and then you become less available even for yourself yes yeah Yeah. I'm still talking to you we already discussing the topic but I have more questions for you and Mm -hmm. I also have some uh, some of the warm-up questions here left out an open question about spirituality do you have any spiritual, uh, let's say, understandings of yourself in life? Any spiritual practices? Yeah, well, you know, I definitely combine my spirituality with how I, 
you know, what my purpose in life is, you know, how I connect with the world um, and myself and what I believe in, my values, all that stuff. But I, I also definitely connected with part of my history, which is that I grew up Catholic. I think you you grew up Catholic as well, yes. right? Yes. Yeah. Um, I grew up Catholic and I went to a Catholic church too. My, my, I'm sorry, Catholic school. My parents sacrificed quite a bit to put me in, in Catholic education my entire life, or at least, you know, up until high school. And um, so, you know, it's been in my life for such a long time. And, you know, naturally, I think being a millennial myself, there's definitely a lot of questioning that happens with religion, I think, and and seeing sometimes how what's meant to be community can be a little bit more difficult than that sometimes. And so I had to find a way for myself as I grew up and stepped out of, you know, the same religious rhythm that I followed as a child. Um, I had to find a way to kind of make that my own in a way that I, where I didn't feel like I had to disconnect from it. You know, if I didn't believe everything yeah. that came with being a Catholic or, you know, every single thing that maybe the Bible said. And so I had to find a way to kind of make that work for myself in a spiritual way that was less about maybe following rules, but maybe was more about listening to my heart and living mm. in a way that goes with my moral system and not something that was pulled mm. to me in, in, a, in a book or in a class. Right. So, mm. you know, I try to use spirituality in that way. I connect it with, a, you know, small parts of my Catholicism and I pray as often as I can. Uh, sometimes I, you know, forget to do that and I disconnect with it a little bit unintentionally because life gets crazy. And I always try to bring myself back by being mindful and, you know, reflecting and remaining self-aware and, you know, recognizing what my purpose is every single day, you know, being, being grateful mm. um, and utilizing that, that, that part of my, my childhood and my upbringing at the same time, you know? Yes. Yeah. Beautifully said. Um, everything just resonates true to me in spirituality being almost like a unique path that we create from our own inner world. Uh, yeah. Of course, we always kind of catching things from here and there and we can't help it. Yeah. <laughs> right. But yeah. have sometimes that foundation. But I love the way you talk about gratitude and following the heart and also the, the sense of yeah. purpose being well, spiritual. I agree. Yeah. And I think this is something that I do talk to, you know, many of my clients about, like often I see clients come to me post intense religious uh, period of life, yeah. essentially. And so them trying to dissemble like everything that they learn growing up, but making it be something that feels meaningful to them so that they don't let it destroy them. Because I think that's what mm. can happen is that maybe you turn your back on what you grew up with. And then that causes, you know, again, going back to anger, some internalized yeah. anger or yeah. some depression or something else that comes with it. And instead of fully disconnecting for some people, it's it's not that it's finding a way to make it yours, you know, and I, I kind of have this, not a joke, but it feels like a joke sometimes, right? I'll meet with a new client, you know, every once in a while, I'll get a new client and I'll be talking to them. I use my hands a lot on, on mm -hmm. camera and stuff. And so mm -hmm. I have a, a cross tattoo on my wrist oh. <laughs> that is symbolic to me in a sort of spiritual way. Right. And so yes. I often, you know, joke because I have a cross that, you know, clients often ask me like when they started, you know, I was wondering if, if uh, you're religious in your therapy approach and I'm like, no, absolutely not. I mean, if you want to talk um, spirituality, I'm totally down for that. But this cross doesn't represent every being of my religion. It really stands more for my spirituality and how I have allowed myself to, you know, again, encompass those small parts of religion. And um, in that, you know, in a way that that doesn't make me feel like I need to throw it all away. If Again, mm -hmm. if that, you know, kind of makes sense, but that's kind of, it kind of comes up a lot, right? Because you look at a cross and you think that's something, right? That yeah. means something, but it's actually for me something quite different. I think 
you know, maybe the church might look at my tattoo and say, no, no, that's not, <laughs> you know, that's not good. And that's kind of what I mean is I, I kind of yeah. make it <laughs> for myself mean what I need for it to mean. And so that's kind of how I represent that in my life and even, even on my body, right. It's, it's very meaningful to me in that way. Yes. Yeah. See, and that's what we want to see more, even with young people, yeah. kind of um, learning to discern between what is theirs and what's not theirs. Yeah. And, and yeah. how can they integrate, you know, uh, what is out there that feels like that resonates with them, with their inner yeah. world, so they can just dance with both. But we often don't see that. And I, I certainly didn't grow up that way. So I was always picking up everything and making my own. And then yeah. just later one was just much harder to release, you know, kind of get a, not get a read of completely. I don't think I did from everything that I learned from growing up about Jesus teachings. They still remain. They, they yeah. feel, feels true to me. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. That is, yeah. uh, to me, yeah. that's very powerful and very true and not easy to do if we are coming from the the mind-body complex only. Yeah. We got to come from the spiritual mind in order to do that, mm-hmm. to really, really live that. Yes. So another question I have for you, an open question. Yeah, this one. What do you feel is the purpose of the human experience, Elisa? I think the biggest thing that comes to my mind is connecting with other beings, connecting with other humans, you know, is kind of experiencing life in a meaningful way with yourself and the people on this earth to feel truly connected. I think it's really hard to feel like you can exist in this world without having connections with people. It can be a very lonely life. You know, I think Mm. people try to fight that urge sometimes, but I think that's a big part of our purpose here is being able to connect with other beings. Yeah, Um, I love that. And I wonder why um, I often ask the question too. This comes up a lot when I ask the purpose of the human experience and I see a lot of people say to help others, which is another word, another way oh, of sure. saying to connect with others. Yeah, but yeah exactly. It, right, in a, let's say in a very harmonic way, in a way that yeah. is beneficial for both of us. It's something We're creating something beautiful out of that. I guess that's what mm-hmm. it comes to me. I often ask, not to everyone, but I'll ask you now, why does it feel true to you, this desire, this longing? I would say I, the word desire kind of um, has dropped out of my vocabulary for some reason. So I use longing these days. Yeah. So what, what makes us to long this connection, um, this, to help one another? What is behind this? Have you inquired? Oh, I mean, I, I think it's almost innate in some way, right? I don't, I don't yeah. even know if it's taught to us. I mean, sometimes it certainly is in a way that allows us to have even more knowledge of what being connected really is. But I yeah. think it's part of it is is innate because I think that, again, like it's part of being a human. It's what's built into us. We're not mm. built to live this life alone. And when we do see people live that life alone, it usually doesn't look that great. Mm. And so I think, yeah. you know, being connected with other people is a necessary part of the human experience. That's definitely something that we talk about so much and, you know, that I talk about with clients sometimes is this idea that you can't necessarily open up to other people that you can't say things that you need to say that you know they might be able to help you with but you don't because you fear the consequences or because it's embarrassing or something to that effect right and the reality is that it doesn't feel good to do it by yourself and there's a reason for that it's not because you're needy it's not because Mm -hmm. you're weird it's because that's part of the human experience it's it's a necessary Mm -hmm. part 
Um, and I think that's because it is, again, innate. That, that's the, the word that comes to mind is just, it's almost like an instinct, right? To just mm. be that way and to, to need those things in your, in your life. And you can definitely fight the urge. I think a lot of people do that. They fight it um, and try to perceive it as, well, I'm independent. And maybe that's true to a level, but I think at the same time, there's something internally that tells us that we we need deeper connections, that mm. it's uh, it's necessary in order to live a life that's meaningful. Yes. Um, yes, it really resonates true to me, to the heart, for sure. Mm-hmm. I love the way you use the word innate. It feels natural, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you see, that comes from biology. It would be survival, right? That's how we survived yeah. for so long, the tribes and all that. When I think about the idea of um, interconnectedness and life being this one system, like this whole, and then you have all the parts of the system, but everything is connected. It's one system. There's there's no like many systems, one. And that's funny when people say, to me, that's very clear. And I see when people, and and this is a, a spiritual kind of understanding, deep understanding. But then when you say about some people that they do, kind of pride themselves for being dependent. That's kind of, that doesn't make sense. If you, if I right. was to have a, a conversation with that person, there's nothing that is independent. Everything depends on another thing. It certainly does. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. I've, you know, Logically. I've never, <laughs> yeah. I've never thought of it that way, but that is very true. It's rarely is anything actually independent. It takes a variety of things to make something feel yes. independent, but in reality, mm. is it? Um, it's mm. a very good point. Yeah. Yeah. It's very much logic. It's not even psychological. It's right. logic. Yeah, Logically uh, speaking, that is yeah. the case. Yeah. We can de- definitely put emotion into it, but it is logical. Oh, of course. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, some of us have been hurt by other human beings uh-huh. so badly that it's sad. It's really sad. It has been my case in childhood, having abuse and all that. And I remember kind of distancing myself from humans because I couldn't trust them. I yeah, couldn't trust absolutely. anyone as a child, as a teenager. So that created that feeling of, oh, I need to be independent. Oh, I need to mm-hmm. be away from everybody so I could be, I could just kind of take care of my own. And I remember feeling very much unhappy and depressed. Right. Well, and it's like a combination of needing to protect yourself and mm. feeling safety as well. So even in yes. the midst of feeling like you need independence, there's also this need to protect yourself and stay safe, even if yeah. it means not feeling good. Because the, I think again, instinct, like the innate thing, is to make sure that you're okay, that you're that you're safe, both physically and mentally, in some ways, right? And so that's what we do: is I need to be alone, I need to take care of myself, and get away from the outside danger. But everything seems like outside danger sometimes, right? So. Yes, yeah, yeah. It's exactly how he felt. So I guess I can understand now because I've been done a lot of the healing work, and I now can I can understand some people when they say that that's it might be coming from pain, you know. Yeah, uh, relational sure. trauma. So mm-hmm. when they talk about that and they really emphasize having their own house, having their own car, having their own everything so they don't have to depend on anyone. It's uh, it's funny at the same time. I kind of laugh and at the same time, it's it's almost like a cry and a laughter at the same time. It, yeah, very much so. Yeah. So let's see. I have a, more questions for you here. Well, most of the end, I have too many questions about the topic of self-esteem <laughs> and, and the power of communication. I'd like to mention that you have your own private practice, Crystal Mind Counseling. I love the name, Crystal. It's really beautiful. Yes. That focuses on providing individual and couples therapy for adults struggling with anxiety, self-esteem, and relationships. 
So now is a good time to ask you that question that I initially, I think, asked by email even. Uh, what is the connection between those three things? So anxiety, self-esteem and relationships. Well, there's, I mean, there's so many, right? I think you can look at it in a lot of ways. So I think you can probably combine each of those words on their own and make their own setup. So like anxiety and yeah. self-esteem are very much so connected in that there's a negative, and you can look at it in both directions too. Self-esteem can impact anxiety. Anxiety can impact self-esteem. We develop these negative beliefs about ourselves and we feel inadequate. We feel unworthy. We feel incapable. And so that often has, you know, when we're looking at anxiety first, that often does end up having an impact on our self-esteem, right? And again, we can reverse that. And if we look at anxiety again, separately with relationships, that there's a huge impact there. It has a lot to do with how we feel safety in a relationship or if we're struggling with trust, if we're struggling with fear of, you know, being abandoned, if we need a lot of reassurance, those things can create significant strain in relationships, right? So that separately alone, right? You know, anxiety with self-esteem and then anxiety with relationships, there's a huge impact there. Um, and then I think if we look at self-esteem and how that also connects to relationships, it's a very crucial part of it as well. And in terms of maintaining a healthy relationship with a partner, with a parent, with a friend, with anyone, there's challenges there that may come with, you know, setting boundaries, with being more assertive in your communication, with being able to express your needs. Sometimes we don't trust ourselves enough to do those things. And that often is what puts us in a position where we are in relationships that might be toxic or abusive or unhealthy in a variety of manners where it's like we actually don't know what we want for ourselves. We're just going to base that on what maybe our partner wants instead, because I can't quite trust myself. I don't really know my self-worth. I don't know if mm -hmm. I feel confident enough in those things. And therefore, you know, again, that kind of exhibits itself in, in relationships in a negative way. And of course, if we're looking at it in a positive way, there, there's so much beauty in that. A, a very positive self-esteem can have such a strong impact on the relationship and can help a lot with longevity, right? If you're looking to maintain a deep, monogamous, meaningful relationship, that really sets a great foundation as a positive self-esteem. So yeah, there's there's so much connection there. And I think that's why I found myself, I really actually started with focusing on anxiety. That was you know my main specialty at the time. And then I realized that I was doing so much work with self-esteem and I was like, wow, I didn't, even for myself, it was kind of surprising. And I, that's part of being a therapist sometimes as you discover things mm. as you go. Uh, I thought, wow, there's a lot of that there. And I, I recognized it in myself too. I thought back to when I was struggling with anxiety, of course I still do, but when I was really in the thick of it, that my self-esteem was deeply impacted. And so suddenly it all kind of came together. And, you know, I think on its own, I developed a love for doing couples therapy. I loved talking about relationships, both on an individual and couples basis. And so again, finding myself having tons of conversations about how somebody's anxiety and somebody's lack of trust, which connects to self-esteem was having an impact on the relationship. And, you know, then I, there I found my three specialties uh -huh. kind of yes. just, again, like you said, it kind of found me in some ways. I didn't even seek it out. It just kind of naturally came to me. And I found that I loved it so deeply because I saw how connected everything was. Mm, yes. Uh, wow. That's interesting to hear the connection between self-trust and positive self-esteem mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and, and how they impact relationships. That makes a lot of sense yeah, to me. Yeah. I wonder why you call it, because I have heard 
uh, the term low self-esteem, high self-esteem, but you call it a positive self-esteem. Why is that, Alisa? I think it resonates to me more than high. I never even noticed that I did that, yeah. but it resonates <laughs> yes. to me more than, than high <laughs> self-esteem because, you know, mm-hmm. if you do look at, uh, you know, articles and such, it probably does state high versus low self-esteem. But for me, I think of yeah. it positive <laughs> because so much positivity comes from having mm-hmm. a high self-esteem, for example, right? That's where that thought process comes from. And maybe it doesn't sound as well when you when you sort of reverse that for negative self-esteem. It doesn't sound that great. And yeah. I think maybe that's why I don't use that term, but I definitely, I think the positive self-esteem resonates more strongly with me than negative self-esteem. Um, and I don't really know why, but it just, it feels, it feels important, I guess, to kind of emphasize that there's a lot of positive things or a lot of difficult things too that come with developing a positive self-esteem, right? Or a higher self-esteem. It takes a lot of work to get there. And there's a lot of, again, a lot of beautiful things, a lot of positive things that come with being able to confidently say, say, I have a high self-esteem or I have a positive self-esteem, you know, good perception of who I am. And that gives me my, my positive self-esteem. So yeah, I don't know. The word positive just sort of resonates with me more strongly than say high self-esteem because people, I think people do kind of use high self-esteem more, (laughs) more frequently. (laughs) Yeah, I have heard that before, but I like your term better. (laughs) That combination, I do like that much better. Also because um, a high self-esteem, a higher self-esteem, it's, I have heard it's not necessarily better because it has also to do with narcissism. Absolutely. They usually have a high, very high self-esteem, but it's not really Mm self-aware. They're not self-aware of the impact Mm -hmm. of that. So it's not, right, it doesn't impact others in a positive way or their own lives. Right. They're just not aware of it. Yeah, yeah, right. High self-esteem definitely is not synonymous with positive self-esteem. So that that does make yeah. a lot of sense. Yeah, I like yeah. that. If you read, if you write anything about that, write a book one day about <laughs> that, I would love to read. Yeah. I would love to have you back yeah, here. I'll work on that. I'll let uh, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's, I never heard of that before. Positive self-esteem. I like that bad, especially because... The topic of narcissism is big. You know, I interview, often interview people about it. And, you know, we, it seems like we all have experienced some people in our lives that have expressed this very high self-esteem, but it's not really positive. It has impacted lives in a very negative way. Right. It's a great topic, though, that I never thought about until meeting you. Yeah. So another thing that I heard about self-esteem that I want to bring to your attention is they said there are different kinds of self-esteem. I read that somewhere. In general, we can feel good about ourselves, but then there are some specific areas in our lives that we don't feel quite confident. So do you see it that way too, Alisa? Like not just areas like relationships and our personal lives, but perhaps even work when it comes to careers or I don't know, body parts even. Maybe we are not confident yeah. about our hair, which is kind of funny, but yeah. that happens. Well, I mean, yeah, that, that definitely makes me think of a couple of things. For for one, I think sometimes we, we, yeah, we sort of can have a more positive or higher self-esteem, even say, for example, in the workplace. I, I think I see that kind of a lot where we hold a lot of our identity in the work that we do. And when we step out of that role, say after five o'clock and we go home to our family, to our roommate, to our partner, we no longer have that anymore. And I think part of that comes from being able to effectively stand behind a role, right? Whatever that may be, maybe even a therapist, right? Being a therapist, being a teacher, being an accountant, being a CEO, whatever the thing might be, we have power in that role, not not, not necessarily in a negative way, but we just 
feel like we're powerful in that role. And so when we step away from that, we go back to the regular uh, day-to-day kind of things that take us away from work. We lose some of that. And that partially comes from a place of putting so much weight on this one role and not giving enough energy to the other meaningful roles in our lives. Again, that could be being a mother, a partner, an aunt, a friend, whatever it is. We don't put as much weight on our value in, in those other roles that, yeah, our, our self-esteem kind of reduces a little bit and we find less meaning or less confidence in other roles in our lives because we play many roles, of course, right? Um, and I find I do find very, very often that it tends to be related to our work that most often we feel super confident in our job. And when we step away from that, we kind of forget who we are a little bit. Uh, and we stop feeling that kind of confidence, say until eight o'clock in the morning on Monday, right? Yeah. Uh, and, yes. and closing yeah, time at five it. o'clock, it, it stops. <laughs> and that, that can be really tricky, but that usually tells us that there's a lot of work to be done on the other roles in your life that could also have a lot mm-hmm. of beautiful meaning, but perhaps don't because you've not given them enough energy. You've put all of your energy into this one, you know, professional role that you have. Yeah, that makes sense too. So that we might be the, the term, the concept of balance might play another role here. We can talk about balance too, but I don't know, at least if we can be confident as a, as a body mind, because I, I think in terms of spirituality a lot, with spiritual truth, um, from my perspective, which is Vedantic perspective, is Advaita Vedanta. I'm a student of that school of philosophy. It's knowing that it's a whole, like life, it's a this whole system. It's one, let's say, reality or system. And there's a lot of parts. And we cannot be, let's say, expect the body to be perfect because mm-hmm. it will never be. It will die. You know, we'll lose it right. one of these days. Well, we'll die, really. It will get sick. Or even the immune system fluctuates, right, throughout yeah. the day or, yeah. or maybe from time to time. That never stays the same. And then the mind is the same thing. It's always sometimes we wake up thinking, having positive thoughts. Sometimes we have a bad dream and then it becomes negative. So it's always changing. So I don't know how reaching for that goal of being, I don't know, balanced or even having self-esteem in every area of body, mind, where body, mind can touch. It's so, I mean, that would be, to me, um, an impossible task. Oh, absolutely. I mean, yeah, the idea of, of sort of like reaching for perfection, right? And I think the idea is, more so not so much to be great or perfect in all of those regards, but to at a minimum give them energy versus the way that you are giving all, say, for example, all energy to your professional role, right? Is to just say like, this is worth my time too. And not just this, this one that I put all of my hopes and dreams and value into, right? Mm. Um, I think that that's kind of like the key thing, but most, I mean, I agree with you hundred percent. There's, it's draining to expect yourself. To be available at 100%, even 50% sometimes in every category of your life. It's so difficult. Yes. Yeah. I remember something funny, I guess. My husband and I, we have a lot of conversations and I can talk for hours, ages about spirituality. You know, like those deep understandings that I have about life and all. One of these days recently, he said, oh, sing a song. And then my self-esteem, if you can call it that, it went down all the way to zero Oh, like sing a song. I can't do that. <laughs> right. Isn't it fun? I can talk to you forever about 
spirituality, yeah. love, and all this. But I, I cannot sing a song. I mean, I could, I guess, but it's I'm. But not, you don't feel mm, good yeah. enough about it, right? No. You don't feel good enough <laughs> no. about your. You're right. That, yeah. yeah, that makes sense, right? You're like, hold on, I can yeah. speak all day about spirituality, <laughs> but talk to me about a song, singing a song, and different story. <laughs> Yeah, and then you feel like my self-esteem just exactly. went down. <laughs> ah, that yeah. was funny to witness. And I'm like, oh, that's funny. <laughs> and then I laughed, of course. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because I tried to make, I love what, the way you said that early in, in the very beginning of a conversation when I asked you about who you are and you said laughter included that. Yeah. Um, that is so important, isn't it, at so, least in life, to have fun in that sense. Yeah, and I even try to include uh, that and encompass it into some of the things that I do in therapy. It's actually partly yeah. why I'm sought out by by some of my clients is because I emphasize the importance of utilizing laughter and sometimes humor in the therapeutic process, because I think that's a scary part about therapy. Sometimes it's too, it can feel too serious and we're not ready sometimes to dive in all serious all the time. And sometimes we have to start lighter. We have to laugh at the breakup, you know, or make a terrible dark, dark joke even about that terrible thing that yes. happened with your friend. And then that kind of makes it easier to sort of segue into having a deeper conversation about it. So yeah, it's yes. a big part of who I am in general. Yes. I love that. I, that's a beautiful thing. I don't know how many therapists um, think that way and work that way, but that's, it's very much needed. Yeah, yes. Yeah, it kind of relaxes everything, the mind, the body, but then it, it makes that the established ideas we have in our minds, the belief systems, the values even, and everything else, the perspectives and perceptions, it loses them up too, in a way. Yeah. And then we become less solid and more fluid and able to dance with anything that it's coming our yeah. way. I love that. So that's a huge part of, um, to me, of any kind of uh, healing system, yeah. a method. It's having fun, making somehow lighter, yeah. playful. So thank you for oh, doing for that. for sure. Yeah, I'm glad you appreciate <laughs> that it. That sounds good. <laughs> that sounds really good. Yeah. Uh, of course, you're a very wise person as well, very intuitive from this conversation that we are having now. It's just, um, I can feel it. Thank you. <laughs> you're just dancing with all these questions, no problem. <laughs> That's wonderful. So <laughs> uh, That's wonderful. Thank you, Mom. Yeah, thank you, mom. you Alisa. <laughs> for being you. Yeah. We are almost at the end of the conversation. I wanted to also mention that the services that you offer, I think we already did a little bit, but I want to mention again, anxiety therapy, uh, virtual counseling. So you also meet people online, offline, uh, self-team therapy, relationship and couples counseling. Is there anything else that I left that I left unsaid, Alisa? I don't think so. Maybe just a thought that I had in my head that I felt yeah. was important to emphasize <laughs> that you know, anyone kind of considering therapy or struggling with, you know, anything, but of course, especially anxiety, self-esteem and relationships, they think what I would say is your time will come, but you have to believe that it will, right? You know, if we're having that struggle yeah. with making a decision about how we can create change in those categories of our lives, you can, but you have mm -hmm. to accept that, that you actually can, right? Instead of telling yourself that it's too hard or that it's impossible or that it's scary, it might be those yeah. things, but it is simultaneously possible. And if you believe mm -hmm. that it is, then you might actually be able to accomplish it, you know? So I hope that resonates mm -hmm. with someone that if you believe it, then it, it can happen. Mm, yes, yes. I would love to add the part of the innate, natural longing for mm -hmm. happiness and peace yeah. that we all have, being more in touch with yeah. that. That might kind of loosen up also yeah. <laughs> the belief system that we can't do something Absolutely. to get there. yeah. 
I love the, what you said, right? Because belief systems, they can get in the way uh, big time, mm-hmm. limiting beliefs, they call Absolutely. it. I always love the idea of going back to this, uh, when we were children, how do I want to feel today? We actually didn't have to ask that question. We just felt yeah. in a way free to be happy yeah, by a peace. very free. And open. Um, so going back to that is another way that I kind of practice to be in the moment and true to myself and always go back to that happiness, innate happiness that never left me. I often leave that happiness, but it, it never leaves sure. me. It's always here. So let's see the ending questions. Is there anything else, Elisa, that you left unsaid that you'd like to, um, to add to the conversation before I ask you my ending questions to you? I don't think so. I think we did quite a good job today. <laughs> okay, yeah. wonderful. So my last questions, I'll ask you this one. What is to be successful? What is success to you these days? Oh, success. I think being proud of what you're doing. I mean, I think that's the best way I can explain because, of course, the first thing that comes to mind when you think success is a big career, you know, or yeah. like a, yes. a, making a family, right? Having a partner and maybe children, right? You think success in that regard. But I think for for me, it's more so like whatever I accomplished in life, that it means something to me and that I'm proud of that. If I did what I deeply wanted to do, whether it has to do with money or other people or uh, just with myself, that's a success. Being able to say that I accomplished what I wanted to accomplish in any category of my life and feeling proud of that, right? So I think I think for me, that's probably, despite the fact that, you know, oh, a career success is the first thing that comes to my mind. I know that that's hmm. not deeply, that's not what deeply is important to me. I know it's a lot bigger than that and has to do with accomplishing the things that are important to me in every part of my life. Mm, yes, I love that wisdom. Timeless wisdom, mm-hmm, as I call sure, it. Yeah. What is the goal of healing? The goal of healing, growth, I think. Yeah, I think growth. I think to heal is to learn about yourself and whatever experience it is that you had that requires healing. And with that means, you know, where the growth is, is where you learn, right? If you're learning something, then you are growing. I think that kind of works in both directions. But if you are learning something through the healing process, whatever you are, again, whatever you're healing from, um, you are growing, and that's that's sufficient. Even if you're just learning, even if you're not activating to change, growth is is often the outcome of that. So I think that's what comes to mind for me. Healing is is growth. Yeah, it resonates true to me as well. And uh, my last question is: What three experiences? I usually ask this question to everyone, mm-hmm. or my guests. Maybe not everyone, everyone, but most people. What three experiences you wish everyone to have before they lose the body, before they die? Yeah, um, I think to experience deep, meaningful love, whatever that, whatever way that shows up, but deep, meaningful love. Um, also deep and meaningful friendship, because I think those are essential in life. Sometimes those work together too, and that's really nice. And I think also maybe just doing something that is so terribly out of your comfort zone that you can hmm. hardly believe you did it. <laughs> uh, that's coming that. from a therapeutic mindset, right? But uh, yes. that might look different for everyone. But experiencing <laughs> that kind of like, oh, wow, mm. I just stepped out of my comfort zone in a huge way. And I never thought that that was possible. So whatever it is that gives you that feeling of, wow, I actually stepped out of my comfort zone and did this thing. I think that's a, a, a very important experience to have before you die absolutely yes i agree that was one or two or two and three 
love um, leaving your comfort zone and doing something crazy and fun. Uh, yeah. yeah, crazy fun. Yeah. Um, did did I miss the love other friendship, one? Deep and meaningful see. friendship. Yeah, um, I can't yeah, go separately, so, but I do think that they go yes. hand in hand for sure. Yes, and, and that's true. That creates a lot of meaning for showing life. Thank you so much for your beautiful presence, you. genuine, for being open to life <laughs> and going through uh, all the challenges you have been through in life and then learning, growing, as you said beautifully about the goal of healing is to grow and growing into doing what you do today, which is to help people you know, from, from the heart. Yeah. That's how I feel it. Yeah. So thank you so much. Yeah, thank you for, for the platform. For your I appreciate it. Thank you. And before we say goodbye for today, where's the best place to find more information about you? Uh, my website, my practice website, uh, crystalmindcounseling.com. There's a contact page there if you want to reach out to me and we can chat from there. Wonderful. I'll have the link there too on your podcast profile. And I would love to be in touch, of course, have you back here. Thank you so much again Thank Lisa, you. for your presence. And we'll talk soon. Bye for Bye. now. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Alyssa Martinez and her work, please visit crystalmindcounseling.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.